0: Trust the only payment solution developed for attorneys and recommended by 47 state bars, LawPay.
1: Hi, I'm Stephanie Francis-Ward, a senior writer with the ABA Journal. In the more than 20 years I've spent talking to well-known attorneys who love their work, I've learned that many have great advice on matters both in and outside the law. And sometimes I'll ask them about things they know now that they wish they had known when they started their careers. We wanted to share some of that advice with listeners, so we've created a special series, Asked and Answered, Lived and Learned. In this episode, I'm speaking with Michelle Coleman-Mays, a former federal prosecutor who has served as general counsel for various publicly traded companies and now works as the New York Public Library's general counsel. Welcome to the show, Michelle. Thank you. So you have served as a mentor to many new lawyers. And it seems like you often give them advice about how to advocate for themselves, which can sometimes be a difficult conversation. For someone who's just starting their practice of law, what's your advice about finessing a conversation at work that's difficult?
0: That's particularly timely now, given everything that's occurring in the Me Too feel the hashtag Me Too, because if that isn't a difficult conversation, I can't imagine what is. But I would start with the premise that we've been having conversations that may not be viewed as welcoming, let's start there, since we've probably learned to speak, whether it was going up against your parents where you wanted to do something they didn't want you to do, all the way to now being in the workplace. And one of the things that I guess I would encourage anyone to do is to start off with a different mindset. And we're going to come back to that word, I think on more than one occasion during this podcast. And that is by seeing it as a way to improve a relationship or an environment. And I think if you enter into it that way, it won't be seen as distasteful an act that you are about to undertake. And as I have learned how you think about something, so much can convey what your behavior says. So right now, that's the first bit of advice, and that's something you can't see or touch, but it's what you work on mentally as you broach the subject. I would also tell folks to, if they're going into what would be viewed, again, as a conversation that you don't necessarily relish, again, we're not going to call it difficult, that you might jot down key points, but for sure don't script it. I think if you script it, you lose your spontaneity and your flexibility, and you might even want to practice your opening remarks. I find that if you can get past the first statement and not stumble all over yourself, it helps the rest of the, potentially, the exchange go more smoothly. So there is nothing wrong with practicing how you want to broach the first few sentences that you will say. I think you also need to be sure, particularly if you're in a position of power, and I say that advisedly because having a conversation shouldn't depend on whether you're the one who is the manager or the leader. Indeed, I think your question, Stephanie, would presuppose that the person who wants to have the conversation may be in a less senior position. I think those conversations are just as appropriate to have. But you need to go in, again, with this mindset of this is something that I'm doing because I want to improve a situation. And likewise, be open-minded. Don't go in assuming you know the answer or what the person is going to say to you. How you, again, show empathy and the ability, I think, to listen is going to have a lot to do with how this exchange is received.
1: So I'm curious, it seems to me that if you approach a conversation like this as a way to improve your relationship, you're going to have less anxiety going in. I mean, many of us, I think, would have less anxiety going in, and that's going to make you maybe more present and comfortable with having a good conversation, that will improve the relationship. Do you think that's true? I think so, because just think about it. If you go in ready to do battle
0: versus I'm going in to listen, once again, your mindset is radically different. One is I'm going in to prove my point, so I don't even want to hear what you've got to say. I just want to see how much I can get across to you, everything I'm thinking, versus I want to know what you're thinking too. Did I miss something? What do you have to add to this? Do I have all the facts? And I have found, and this is absolutely the case, that there are times when you broach whatever the topic may be, and the individual on the other side is someone you may not have a strong rapport with. There's a good chance of that. And what I would say, apropos of the title, what did I wish I had known before I started, you have to work harder to listen to someone you'd rather not hear talk.
1: Right. I just wanted to ask you, Michelle, where are you speaking to me from? You sound even more authoritative than normal.
0: (laughs) I'm in a building that's over 100 years old with 12-foot ceilings, so I may sound like I'm in an echo chamber. No, I'm just in my regular old office. (laughs) Okay.
1: (laughs) Which is at the New York Public Library headquarters, correct? That is correct, which is an iconic building,
0: but it does have some liabilities when it comes to the acoustics.
1: Right. So we're going to take a quick break for a message from our sponsor, and we'll be right back.
0: Did you know that attorneys who accept online payments get paid 39% faster on average than those using traditional payment methods? With LawPay, the only payment solution offered through the ABA Advantage program, you can accept client payments online, via email, or in person, no equipment needed. Visit LawPay.com slash podcast to sign up and get your first three months free.
1: And we're back. So, I wanted to go back to what you were talking about, about viewing the chance to improve a relationship with someone rather than to have a confrontation. Let's say you are a new lawyer and you feel like you are not getting the same amount of challenging work as some of the men who are your peers on the trial team. How can you talk to your boss in a way that improves your relationship with him or her and solves your problem? This very much relates to an area
0: which also relies heavily on mindset and I don't know how much you've looked at the work that's been done on GRIT. The Commission on Women, which, as you know, Stephanie, I chaired for three years until this past August, has invested a lot of time and research dollars in applying this concept to the legal profession and to women in particular. And if you go to the website, we actually have a toolkit coupled with the research, and we recently published a book which captures the stories of women that we viewed euphemistically as gritty. And one of the things that it teaches you is that you have to have behavioral persistence in the face of adversity, and eventually that's got to be coupled with the sustained, passionate pursuit of your goals. So going back to the example you gave of an associate who notices that the men, the younger men, or the men associates are getting better work assignments than she is, there's actually a vignette in that toolkit with exactly that fact pattern, because that is something that is regularly encountered. And even if you aren't positive that you're being treated differently, you certainly have the suspicion or perception, and as you know, perception becomes reality. And so one of the things it talks about is different approaches to having a conversation. Here we go back to the conversation about your opinion, your gut, that, you know, I don't think I'm being treated the same way. And what the information that's contained in this toolkit really wants to convey is there isn't one way to have that conversation. You can do it through potentially someone that else in the law firm, you could do it through someone who's assigned to work with associates, you could do it with the partner, you could do it with a more senior. There are many, many paths that you might choose to use to explore, am I getting the short end of this stick? And it doesn't say there's one way to do it. That's a critical thing. But what it does encourage people to understand, simply keeping your head down and accepting your fate is not what we're advocating, that indeed you owe it to yourself and potentially your career to figure out what's really going on here. Because what if you find out all of a sudden that you're coming up short
1: in your performance, but nobody has told you that? When you have a feeling in your gut that something's not right, do you think it's always best to address it with whoever is involved in that? or maybe to wait a bit. But I think sometimes we wait a bit with feelings in our gut and we don't, it gets worse.
0: If you're trying to use your gut for, or your hesitancy as a way to justify not doing anything like, oh, I'm being unreasonable. I'm jumping the gun. You know, my gut's not really telling me the truth here. It's just me having a bad day. No, that's one of the things when I look at the things that I was talking about in having conversations. And you know what I want to call them instead of difficult conversations? I want to call them worthwhile conversations. And once you do that, that frames it very, very differently. It doesn't matter that it's on a topic that's messy, but it still says it's worth having. So now go back to your question about is every conversation worth having? No. No. <laughs> <laughs> I think you have to pick and choose and use your judgment as to is this a time when I really want to invest in this topic versus maybe something else that's much more important to you. So I think you have to once again kind of go through this gut check yourself of is this a worthwhile conversation to have and not put it off just because as I say it's messy.
1: But maybe give yourself 24 hours after something happens to think about it or think about your response.
0: It can depend, Stephanie. For example, I'll give you something that I have seen take place. I'm observing someone doing a presentation and they are really doing some basic things that anyone who knows how to present would never do. For example, turning their back to the audience. And this is, this is literally what happened in one of the presentations I attended or reading the entire time, never making eye contact with the audience, ever. Now, should I wait until two weeks, three weeks later? Frankly, I sometimes will pull the person aside and say, I have some observations of what you've just done that I'd like to share with you. Do you have time for me to do that? Notice something else that I think is extremely important. If the conversation is worth having and you're standing in the hallway, maybe that's not signaling what you want to signal if it's you know, done in such a inopportune time. A hallway is frequently not the best time to have a worthwhile conversation or in the bathroom. Although if it's empty, maybe that's okay. And frequently women do find themselves in an empty bathroom because all, everybody else is in the men's room. But coming back to my point here, I think I would take the time to tell that individual what I observed
1: because it's recent, it's fresh, so it depends. so i obviously, when you probably did uh, talk to this person and I'm curious uh, what was their how did they react?
0: You know what people say that they want constructive feedback until they get it, and so you have to be prepared for someone to look at you almost. Stunned that you even bothered because this person did not report to me. They were not in my shop even. They were in a different area of the company. I still think I owed it to them to give them a few tips which were so easily corrected. This isn't like saying, go back to school and read Sophocles. This was saying, here are a few things you can easily do to improve your delivery. And so once they Understood that I was being sincere. People have a BS meter. (laughs) We all do. You can call it your gut. That they didn't think I was just trying to demean them, you know, to ruin their day. Then they said, Oh, thank you. And I said, If you want to have, you know, more discussion about it, stop by and see me. So again, I think you have to gauge when it looks like it's the right time to say something versus. I should schedule a meeting to have the conversation and set aside an hour to do it. And the other thing I want to weigh in here, on occasion, it takes more than one meeting. You know, we all have this instant gratification need. I'll have the conversation and the world will be better. It ain't like that in real life. So you need to be realistic that while you may open the door to the conversation you may need to actually have more than one to get to the real meat of the matter and get to a positive outcome.
1: You know, I'm thinking also on the positive side, if this is something that requires more than one meeting, you have all these backup meetings to learn from with your communication style in terms of what works and what doesn't. True.
0: I also would say to you that in the example you gave again of an associate who thinks they're being... Not treated fairly, because that's really what it comes down to. I am not being treated fairly, and no one likes to exist in an environment where that's their sentiment. You also, again, can use lots of ways to, rather than rushing into a meeting with the individual who's doing the assignments, go back to the different paths you might take. There are other associates that are your peers, even, that might have insight for you. And so this is another way to do your gut check. Am I dreaming? Is this really happening to me or is it something else going on here? So I encourage people to try to get to the facts as best they can. People confuse opinions and facts all the time and they are radically different, although sometimes we don't want to try to make that division.
1: Mm-hmm. I'm curious because you were talking about that speaking or presenting at a public event. What's your advice? Say you're at a professional event and there is a person there who you don't really have fond thoughts for. How do you advise interacting with that person at the event?
0: One of the things I think most of us know (laughs) is that there's some safe topics that you can broach safer than others You know, rather than going up saying, how do you feel about sexual misconduct? That would be the last thing I would ask someone that I had no rapport with and didn't like. But instead, I would know something about their work. People always like to talk about themselves. That's never been in short supply. And so if you know you're going to do that, that there's going to be an opportunity then I try to find some ground that's either common ground, whatever that may be, or something that really asks them about what they are doing. And you typically, unless it's a very awkward person, you will get them sharing their insights with you. And I think most people, when they believe you're interested in what they have to say, again, BS monitor is always on, right? The meter's always on. But if you're asking someone because you're trying to figure out, like, why are you functioning and behaving the way you do, then getting them to talk about what they're doing and why is a good way to try to gauge that. Sure.
1: Yeah. And let's switch gears a bit. As a general counsel, you have done a lot to bring more diverse outside teams to the table for lawyers who haven't quite reached the same level in their career as you have yet what's your advice for them about what they can do in terms of advocating for a more diverse outside counsel and when it's good to say something and how?
0: You're right. If you go back to when I had the bigger bully pulpit, certainly as a general counsel, that's a different base from which to operate than if I were a junior attorney. But even when I wasn't the general counsel, I had my eye on that topic. It's hard not to as a woman of color that I leave myself at home. And so I didn't wait to get the mantle to say, this is something that's important, and depending on which institution you find your in which you find yourself, many of them will espouse diversity, inclusion. And so there are opportunities to volunteer to work on those on those topics, not to your detriment. I mean, you still have to do other tasks that are critical to your career, but I don't think you have to sacrifice announcing or proclaiming your commitment to that value of inclusion just because you don't have a title. So you would hope that you would be invited into that discussion by the general counsel or those in senior leadership. But if not, one of the things you can do is look for opportunities within the law firm if you see people that are not your usual suspects, people of color, women, that you are also quick to make sure people know that you're pleased with their work product. That, you know, people think, you again, you have to have a title to evaluate someone. You don't. If you say to someone, I've worked with this associate. She is really good. And I think we should look for opportunities to have her work on more things. Your boss is going to look at that because what you should be articulating is the value, that is what value that person has brought to the table.
1: So if you're just starting in-house, say you came over as an associate and you notice that most of your outside teams are Anglo men, should you say something and how should you say it to your boss?
0: I think once again, you're going to have to go back to what we call worthwhile conversations, right? which is if your institution has said that it seeks to be, and most institutions have, and I'm hoping that most individuals will have done homework around where it is they've decided to invest their human capital and that it's in a place that is simply not giving lip service to that belief. So you would, I think, go and say, I noticed, X, Y, Z, do you think that we could look for opportunities and even have some suggestions? And this is the other thing I would encourage here, because if you are a low enough level, they might look at you as though you have the unmitigated gall, right?
1: (laughs) Right. Sometimes they don't take suggestions well. And like you mentioned, the Me Too movement. I mean, it's the same thing, I think, with race in our country now, too. Sometimes the people that need to hear this are very defensive.
0: But then I look for my allies. Mm Mm-hmm. And people sometimes give that short shrift, and I think that they are missing an opportunity to have individuals that may have more juice or, unfortunately, credibility to be the one that carries the message. As I say to folks, you can get a lot, a lot of things done when you don't have to take the credit. And so if you find like-minded people in your organization that might have a bigger platform than you do,
1: use it. Very good advice. And that's everything we have time for today. I want to thank you so much for joining us, Michelle. You're welcome, Stephanie. And listeners, thank you for joining us. If you like what you heard today, please rate us on Apple Podcasts and check out our other special edition Lived and Learned podcast in the ABA Journal's Asked and Answered series.